Welcome to Tuesdays with Merton. My name is Teresa Sandok. I'm a Servite sister from Wisconsin and a member of the board of the International Thomas Merton Society. Tuesdays with Merton is sponsored by the International Thomas Merton Society and the Bernadine Center at Catholic Theological Union. The webinars are scheduled to run on the second Tuesday of each month. And now it is my pleasure to introduce to you Jonathan Montaldo. In company with Robert Toth, Jonathan created the Bridges to Contemplative Living with Thomas Merton series for small group dialogues. If you're looking for a good resource to use for community or parish discussion groups, I can highly recommend this series from personal experience. Jonathan has presented renditions of Merton's work that include a Year with Thomas Merton, Dialogues with Silence, Merton's Prayers and Drawings, and Choosing to Love the World, Notes on Com Contemplation. He most loved editing The Intimate Merton, His Life from His Journals, with the late brother Patrick Hart of Gethsemane, and also serving a term as president of the International Thomas Merton Society. He has narrated five audiobooks of Merton's, including Contemplative Prayer, New Seeds of Contemplation, and No Man is an Island. He lives in Mantua, New Jersey, near Philadelphia. Having recently turned 75, he is busy making a favorite line from Merton's journals his own. Suspended by God's mercy, I am content for anything to happen. And now, here is Jonathan Montaldo speaking on Thomas Merton's Contemplative Exercises for Entering the School of Our Lives. Jonathan? Thank you very much, uh, Teresa, and peace and grace uh, to all of you, uh, whoever you are and wherever you are tonight. Uh, it is my honor to be here with you and uh, to spend this time speaking about Thomas Merton's legacy. Now, this could well be my 11th hour, so I should pay attention, and uh, you should too. Um, I am 75 now. And uh, I was serious when I put in the uh, uh, words that Teresa would introduce me that I am trying to make my own, uh, one of my favorite lines from Merton's journals. Suspended by God's mercy, I am content for anything to happen. Now I'm also understanding that I will probably have to learn another mantra. Uh, if in the future I find myself in a senior home, sitting in a chair, looking at reruns of Jeopardy on the television, with my only choice being pudding or jello for dessert, the new mantra that I'm going to have to learn is suspended by God's mercy, I am content for nothing to happen. I shouldn't be afraid of this eventuality. Who knows if 
being with my uh, my friends, my colleagues, my old friends, talking about our lives and uh, their significance uh, at the close of our lives might be one of the most interesting uh, moments of my existence. So it may be very uh, well full of good cheer, and I hope it is so. Today is, in my Catholic tradition, a feast day of Holy Mary, the Mother of God, the Mother of Jesus the Lord. And Merton had a very strong and consistent devotion to Christ's Mother uh, from his first serious encounter with her when he went on a vacation in Cuba. Uh, I will be presenting uh, later on in my presentation, Merton's prayer, a Merton prayer uh, to the mother of God. And uh, so I will forego now uh, leading us uh, in a prayer. What I would like you to do though, is that to spend two minutes with me reflecting on this icon. This is a book that's in preparation, it's almost finished, by a friend of mine, Jared Thomas Straub, who has founded a uh, home for uh, 64 now uh, children in Haiti. Uh, and he founded it uh, five years ago. And I would like us to uh, look at the cover, the proposed cover, his cover for his book and to uh, think that we should all be praying together for all those who are in trouble all over the world. And for those who are longing to know the meaning of their troubles in our journeys through life to God. And Jerry covers exactly uh, with this, this icon uh, my themes for this evening, uh, how I read Thomas Merton, as I long for God in the school of my own life. It's very important for me to show you uh, this cover because I want to emphasize that contemplative prayer uh, is not only for people in a rocking chair, uh, contemplative prayer really is for those who are uh, on a mission to uh, express their own love for God in service of their neighbors. Uh, contemplative prayer was not for Merton an aesthetic experience, or should I say a merely aesthetic experience. Uh, it was through his prayer that he became united with everyone else in the world. And through his prayer that he continued to write and serve as he could uh, the cause of the universal gospel that we are all already one. I, last night, I received an inspiration and I want to share it with you. I wrote it only last night. 
And forgive me for reading it to you. And I hope that you can follow along with me because sometimes with a lot of verbiage, we simply get lost and we begin to tune out. The Japanese Zen hermit and poet Ryokan, according to an English translation, is supposed to have said, book after book you can read to advance your knowledge, but I ask you to cling to one word of truth. What is this one word of truth, you ask me? To know your heart as it truly is. For years, I took his words to mean that I would never find the right knowledge, no matter how many books I read, that the only stories worth reading were in the book My Own Heart is Writing to Learn Who I Truly Am. I heard Ryokan saying to me what the Buddha too had said, that I should abandon scriptures and be a light unto myself. But now I have a different interpretation. Ryokan is not telling me to abandon books, but to abandon how I have been reading spiritual books. If I read book after book without the investments of my heart, without longing to find my true self within a book's words, then my voracious reading is vanity. It profits me nothing and leaves me thirsty for reading yet another book. But if every book I name spiritual, I read longing to learn something of my true self and to hear another voice beyond my own, then I shall be reading contemplatively. I shall be reading to know myself, my true self. So a book is spiritual for me if I can excavate its pages with the most profound questions of my heart's mind. I want to read books in a script that communicates experiences resonant with my own. I want to read its pages as a mirror of my wandering loneliness and as a window into love and communion with everything else. No books have more called me out and kept me on paths beyond myself than Thomas Merton's autobiographical books. Ever since a boy of 13, when I read The Seven Story Mountain, his texts that disclose his most singular and intimate voice have taught me to pray and long, not to be a Thomas Merton, but to become so gradually and with much pain, myself made in the image of God. In his intimate journals and the books he edited from them, The Sign of Jonas and Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, I nourish my journey with the seeds of his contemplation. I kneel with Merton, exhausted with him after so many spiritual exercises to wait for graces that I cannot give to myself. I reread these intimate Merton books whenever I desire to pray, to hear another voice beyond Merton's and my own, 
to excavate the word under the words or the words, the word within the words. I have become so slowly permeable to his most intimate and lyrical words that I imagine without thinking I am too crazy that it was an angel or even the Holy Spirit who guided me at 13 to take and read for the rest of your life, chew upon this bread to take with you on your life's journey toward knowing your heart just as it truly is. In Merton's books of longing, he awakens my soul to taste sips of the sacred truth that the kingdom of God is an inner experience of seeking God. And in Merton's seeking, I find my own path to God. I write my life's book in communion with the books written by humans of all ages and times who have sought God from the beginning of the world. When I was at the Thomas Merton Center, uh, I followed uh, Sister Teresa Sandock as, a, uh, as what turned out to be a transient uh, transitional role for both of us as the director of the Thomas Merton Center, uh, which is the site of his largest archive, I found what was then an unpublished uh, book uh, that uh, he had titled Our Monastic Observances. And this book war, uh, contained his notes on conferences that he was going to give to his novices, the new people in the monastery. Uh, Thomas Merton uh, was the master of novices. He had control of all the new people who came into the monastery for 10 years from 1955 uh, to 1965 when he retired and went into reclusion in his hermitage at Gethsemane. So I looked at this book, uh, Monastic Observances, and found uh, notes on, on, for a conference on prayer. And uh, these are very exciting notes. And uh, I found myself most attracted uh, to one of the ways that Merton was urging his novices to pray. Now, let me say, in my opinion, that Merton never really uh, taught a way of praying or insisted that uh, anyone who listened to him about prayer would, would pray uh, his way. Uh, let me say also that Merton didn't know, would not have, have uh, known what the, what the term centering prayer uh, meant. Um, Merton was, was like uh, Dom, uh, Dom uh, John Chapman, a Benedictine who said, you know, pray as you can, not as you can't. But he told them, uh, among many of uh, his explanations about prayer, uh, that they should, one form of prayer that they could adopt if they wanted to, was to meditate by entering the school of their own lives. He said, if you want to know why you're sitting here in front of me uh, this afternoon, listening to my voice as a member of this community at Gethsemane, then you should go back 
and realize that everything that has happened to you, especially all the people and the places, and even the books that have happened to you, have been God's uh, secret hand, God's secret providence for your life, which has made you the singular person you are today that's sitting here. And Merton, even in these notes, uh, talked about um, uh, the poet, <laughs> Jared Manley Hopkins, and his idea of inscape, which Hopkins got from Don, uh, Don John, John Don Scotus. Uh, inscape meaning that each creature, and let's just talk about human beings, uh, is very, very particular. We, we all share a great deal in common, but through our experiences and genetics, and we, we all are very singular persons. There's no one ever going to be like Thomas Merton, nor uh, like Jonathan Montaldo, thanks be to God. Each of us is who we are uh, in the image of Christ. So he said, reflect upon all the graces uh, that uh, that you have received in your life as a way of praying. And I said to myself, this really was a dimension of Mershon's own prayer. Uh, that, that especially in his journal writing, he was entering the school of his own life. I remember one journal entry that I loved so much. Uh, it was very, very early. It was even before uh, he he entered the monastery of Gethsemane. He said, how can anyone know how much he owes to the goodness of those who have loved him? And he talks about uh, that in this reflection that he gives, you know, he says, I could have thought for, fought for years by myself to try to get my act together. He said, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to get order in my life. Uh, you know, I, I was cutting out the, the, the cigarettes and, and noting in a book how many I had smoked that day. I was even weighing myself uh, every few days. Uh, he said, but you know, I would have slowly eaten myself out. But someone must have mentioned me in some prayer, some, some person that, that, that I hardly remember, maybe even some child or some person on a subway must have prayed for me that have allowed me to, to uh, be who I am today. And I am who I am today through the love that people have had for me, in spite of who I am. And the mystery in other people's loves for me is they love me in spite of who they are. So I found this kind of reflection to be a uh, jumping off point from entering the school of my own life. I was using Merton as a kind of Lexio, and I've always uh, used him for that, um, to, to explore and excavate my own search for God, uh, to find out why is it I was born and, and uh, for whom I was born. I, want, I, I found this 
beautiful paragraph in a book uh, that's by Michael Plekon, uh, an author I really like. Uh, and this, uh, it's a, it's, this is one of his later books called Hidden Holiness. And when I saw this paragraph, I said to myself, this is Merton. Let me read it to you. One can review all the different dimensions which evolved in her work, in particular the dialogue among religions and the place of women in the church. But beyond all the specific themes, it seems to me that her principle, her, her unique contribution was anchored above all in what she saw as the one thing necessary, namely, to go into the depths of herself, to make her being with all her singularity and personal history permeable to Christ, to witness to his existence, to as many as possible. This is her real legacy. And she has a twin uh, in Thomas Merton because I believe this was Thomas Merton's legacy, to go into himself and a word that I love, and I, I, I'm gonna to continue to say it, along with the word harmonize, permeable. She made herself just as she was, permeable to the word of Christ. And in that permeability allowed her to become a witness to Christ in the world, a witness to God in the world. So I, I love this ext extremely, a, a great deal. And I, I wanna stress that. Now, speaking of permeability, here again, we're in Merton's journals and he's talking about uh, John uh, Henry, now St. John Henry Cardinal Newman and he says in his journal, there are people one meets in books or in life whom one does not merely meet or know. A deep resonance of one's entire being is immediately set up with the entire being of the other. Heart speaks to heart in the wholeness of the language of music. True friendship is a kind of singing. Now, I love this. Uh, and after this, Merton goes on to name the voices, the choir, uh, and, and these are only a few, of the voices who really have made a difference in his life. Now, when we speak of voices, he's talking about books he's read, not the actual voice of these people like Blake or Tala or Eckert. <clears throat> he also heard feminine voices. Uh, voices that were extremely important to him, especially in his hermitage, uh, people like uh, Flannery O'Connor, Teresa of Avila, uh, Raisa Maritain. And this choir of voices, this choir coming from a book is, is how Merton made himself permeable, not only to their voices, but harmonized uh, with these voices that they sang him into the church or sang him into who he was to become along with them. Man, he says, is a beautiful instrument for God. Our singing together is perhaps the best 
most evident manifestation of God in his world, his music in us. This is the deep reason for monastic psalmody. I have not seen, and, and not that I'm, uh, you know, very well read, but I have not seen in the Merton literature uh, commentaries uh, on, on Merton's use of music and singing, this, this idea of harmonizing in a choir with other people. Uh, it's something that, that those of you who uh, have this interest and who are much more skilled in music than I might consider uh, looking into, uh, especially in Merton's journals. Now, this whole idea of singing, yes, uh, books. He sang along with books and, and Merton is a, absolutely a person of the book. He loved learning and he desires God. Book after book he read. It was said that he remembered what he read. I don't know whether he had a, uh, a, uh, a memory that, that he could memorize everything, but once in his journals, he does play the game of trying to remember what he was doing on a particular day, uh, how far he could go back year after year. And in the journal, the, one of the, the first journals, Run to the Mountain, he actually plays the game for us in his published journal, where he goes back 10 years. So he had a very prodigious memory, um, which, which would uh, be the source of his ability to keep these voices alive within himself uh, as he went in, into his own life and sang. There's a lovely letter, a beautiful letter, which I love. It's another text that I go back to over and over again. Uh, it's Merton's letter to his best friend, the poet Robert Lax. And Merton writes it on December the 6th, 1941, which is uh, four days uh, he, before he, he actually uh, arrives at Gethsemane's Gate on December 10th. So this is an extremely beautiful letter. And, and, and uh, it is, it, it's so uh, illustrative to me of Merton's writing talent that it's a, it's, it has to be a first draft. And he says many things like, you know, it's time for me to get out of the, the smoke of the bedroom and go into a clean room. It's time, it's time to me to be silent in front of the face of God. And then he says this paragraph, which I love. And in him, he means God. While I'm singing in the big church, will be also Lax, Gibney, Seymour, Slate, Rice, Gertie, Knight, Hutlinger, and Vindoran, and the Baroness, and Mary Jerdo, and my brother and my uncle and my aunt and my father and mother who died and Brahmashari and the whole mystical body of Christ. Everybody, Roger, Gill, all people, Ginny, Lily, all people, the living and the dead, all days, all times, all ages, all worlds, all mysteries, all miracles. This is a 26-year-old guy uh, writing like this, knowing that or wanting that as he prayed, as he sang in that church in Gethsemane along with his community of brothers, that he was singing with the world. And not only with people of his own uh, 
existence, his own time, but of all ages. This is something about Merton. Merton wants to think with the Chinese. He wants to think with the Greeks. He wants to think about in be with, 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 with what people thought long ago. He says when he's looking at the dawn as a spiritual exercise, he says, even if my ancestors uh, didn't look at the dawn uh, the way I am and seeing it and praising it as I am, they're doing it through me right now. My take on this is that this isn't just poetry. Uh, this is poetry that is expressive of the inner experience of this of this singular person. Uh, I'm, I'm going to move along now. I the, just the second paragraph. The Advent hymns sound as if they first did, as if they were the nearest things to me that ever were that they had been decisive in shaping my heart and my life, as if I had received their form, as if there could never be other, other melodies so deeply co-natural to me. So here again is this musical image that he'll never forget the hymns of Advent, the Rorate Celi for one, that, that brought him into the monastery to pray for peace. And they formed him. This music continues uh, to form him. And, and be a part of his life. They, 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 uh, they, they resonate with his life. He's permeable uh, to these Advent hymns. Now on this idea of entering the school of your own life, one of the things that I've, I've loved, I, I love a lot of things about Merton, but I love when he's talking uh, in the sign of the Jonas, when he receives uh, from his abbot's hand, Frederick Dunn, the first copy of the Seven Story Mountain. And Merton finds himself most delighted with the index. He said, you know, uh, Giroud, uh, my editor, uh, uh, somebody did an index and it's the most peculiar list of names you ever saw. And then he begins naming people uh, that, that, that are in the index. And he says, you know, he said, I feel that this index is a preview of my going to be with these people uh, someday in paradise. That we we will we they are the these are the people who have made me who I am, and I'm going to be a trophy for them. Just like this book is a trophy for them, and they're going to be trophies for me. I love this, and 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 when I give retreats, I normally after this um, giving the, this this uh, paragraph. Uh, this this text tell people you know it would be a good spiritual exercise and this is what I mean by a contemplative spiritual exercise mentored by Merton it would be a good exercise if if each of us uh, spent some time making an index of the people in our own lives who would appear in our autobiographies were we to write them the people who year after year and decade after decade uh, have formed us by their love for us. Or even people who, uh, for whatever reason, hurt us by not being able to love us. Uh, there's another index that I've been thinking about that has recently, uh, as I was preparing for, for, for being with you, uh, concerning, I thought about how awesome it would be if someone could make an index of every name 
that appeared in every subject that appeared in all of Merton's books, in all of his, his uh, magazine articles, in everything he wrote, how big would that index be? I'm also thinking that since Merton wrote permeable to all ages and all times and all mysteries, that even our names as readers, we who have made ourselves permeable to Merton's legacy would appear in this index. What a huge index that would be. Here's another one of my favorite uh, journal entries. It's the basis of which I'm thinking, uh, and, and this is none of this is original. This is very traditional. Uh, and Merton was a traditional person too, that, that what he was doing by living his life was writing a book. That, that was the image, that was the metaphor. I'm writing a book for, for God and for everybody else to read. And he says, uh, you know, either you look at the universe as a very poor creation out of which nobody can make anything, or you look at your own life and your own part of the universe as infinitely rich, full of an inexhaustible interest, opening out into the infinite further possibilities for study, contemplation, and praise beyond all and in all is God. Perhaps the book of life in the end is the book of what one has lived. And if one has lived nothing, he is not in the book of life. And I have always wanted to write about everything. That doesn't mean to write a book that covers everything, which would be impossible, but a book into which everything can go. A book with a little of everything that creates itself out of everything, that has its own life, a faithful book. I no longer look at it as a book. Now this book into everything, into which everything can go, I would submit uh, for our reflection, are his personal journals. In his personal journals, everything in his life was fair game, things that he would never say uh, in public or never say in writing because they, it couldn't get past the senses. Now, here's, here's some Montaldo. Isn't all of Merton's journal writing a prominent spiritual exercise, a contemplative search for God's hidden providence in everything in his life, especially people, places, and books? Was it his journal writing a function of his sole desire to harmonize with his most authentic self in God, with his self in the mind of Christ, each dimension of his life indicative of God's love for him made flesh in the friends of his life? Weren't his journals a mirror to see what in him was stable in his love for God, 
so that he could survive his transient emotions and being knocked down by one fierce wind after another. Weren't his journals a window through which he could look beyond his own thoughts and behavior to see the country of his likeness to God? Weren't his journals an archeological tool to ex excavate treasures in living that he had once known, but forgot as the flow of events pushed and pulled him one way or another? Weren't his journals his lesson books to experiment with what he actually thought and felt rather than what the church's image of a monk required him to think and feel? Weren't his journals a place for Grace's crowbar to break into his innermost apartments and shine a flashlight on his most shy and inner self? Here's a, a Zen, uh, not a Zen koan, a Christian koan uh, about Merton's, for me, about Merton's aim, his spirit in writing. It's, it's something that I, that I ask that we explore and that you explore, uh, not only for yourself, but uh, with, with other people with whom you can speak and, and especially those people who like you love Thomas Merton. Therefore, most honorable reader, and this is in his uh, uh, preface to his, the, the Japanese translation of the Seven Story Mountain, his autobiography. Most honorable reader, it's not as an author that I would speak to you, not as a storyteller, not as a philosopher, not as a friend only. I seek to speak to you in some way as your own self. Who can tell what this might mean? I even do not know. But if you listen, things will be said that are perhaps not written in this book. And this will be due not to me, but to one who lives and speaks in us both. In every true conversation about deep things, there's always a third. There's always a presence binding persons who are talking intimately to one another about who they think they are in this world and trying to find out from the person whom they are talking about, give me a word for my salvation out of your own life. Here's that prayer that I promise you. The Seven Story Mountain has a wonderful passage. When Merton is leaving England, he's made a mess of his, his, his uh, freshman year at Cambridge and he's been recalled to, by his grandfather uh, to, to the United States. Uh, I, 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 in, on my website, I have given uh, it, it monksworks.com. You can find all of these quotations tonight 
with all of their citations where you can find them. And uh, the, this scene where he's getting into a boat at, at Southampton to go back to, to, to the United States is absolutely gorgeous. Um, and it's here where he, uh, within this section, that he uh, pens, scripts this prayer to Our Lady, His Lady. It's the kind, I, I've realized that what has so attracted me about the seven story mountain and what I think grabs others is Merton's music. The, the way his, his prose sings, his lyricism. And that music stays with us like it stayed with me you know, since I've been 13 to 75. This is poetry. It's written as prose in his book. Lady, when on that night I left the island that was your England, your love went with me, although I could not know it and could not make myself aware of it. It was your love, your intercession for me before God that was preparing the seas before my ship laying open the way for me to another country. I was not sure where I was going. I could not see what I would do when I got to New York, but you saw further and clearer than I. You opened the seas before my ship, whose track led me across the waters to a place I had never dreamed of which you were even then preparing for me to be my rescue and my shelter and my home. And when I thought there was no God and no love and no mercy, you were leading me all the while into the midst of his love and his mercy and taking me without my even knowing it to the house that would hide me in the secret of his face. So there we all are. Here's a, a picture of uh, a group that met on retreat with the International Thomas Merton Society and through the auspices of Brother Paul Quinnan, uh, we were able to go to Merton's Hermitage and uh, to speak there. And then we took this group picture. And I noticed uh, when I was, I wanted to show you this picture because I noticed the empty chair. And of course that's Paul Quinnan's empty chair. He's the one, he's a photographer taking the picture. And I wanna invite you to place yourself there uh, in this picture. These are, the, these, uh, this icon represents all the people who have read Thomas Murtis' books since they began to be published. There's untold numbers of people. His autobiography alone sold 600,000 copies in the first year and is still being read today. Somewhere in the world, someone is picking up for the first time the seven story mountain and wants to talk about it. 
So here's my fervorino, which will bring uh, this presentation to an end and uh, we can have some of your questions. Merton's, Merton confesses for us his contemplative exercises of paying attention to the rhythms of his singular life in the world's community. Through his witness to learning this music and longing for God, Merton inspires us to become the most singularly personable human beings that the Holy Spirit in us intends we become. We must exert effort, but also wait for the grace to be in our true minds, seeing God in all things together. Our minds become true by becoming more permeable to the mind of Christ, to the mind of holy wisdom, weaving all things into a hidden wholeness, making us ever more permeable to the mind of love, expanding everywhere, that love that moves the sun, all the planets, and the other stars. I'm going to turn uh, turn uh, my attention to to uh, Alan Kalb, uh, who uh, has is collecting any questions you may have. And I mu I must also say that you don't need to ask me a question. You can also make a declaration. Um, about some aspect of this that's, that's touching you right now. And uh, I may be able to respond to that. So I'm gonna be quiet. We have, we have these, these 15 minutes. Um, and uh, Alan, what's happening? That was special. There's so much to talk about. One thing that we'd like to hear a little more from is this idea of permeability. You mentioned that earlier in the conversation and then basically finished it at the end. A couple ways to talk about it, if you will. What is permeability? How do you understand it? And then secondly, how would you do it? Mm -hmm. uh, permeability, and this is, this is something that, uh, to be honest with you, I've just glammed onto uh, in, in thinking about this presentation. And based on that quote uh, about uh, Al Golosky's quote about Elizabeth, uh, that she made herself permeable, her singular life to Christ. Uh, it's a matter, it seems to me, permeability means that, that, we've, that I become more and more open to what St. Paul says, the mind of Christ. That I, part of my asceticism if you will, is going to be uh, to, to put away, to put down, to remove any obstacle in my mind or heart due to my education, who I am, uh, my, my social status, etc. Put all of that away so I will become more permeable to the fact that we are all already one that I am here to serve my neighbor, 
that I am not here to 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 live in solitude, but in but I am, 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 am here uh, to live among my intimates and through my intimates uh, through the whole world. Now, how do I become more permeable? Well, I read. I mean, I myself, I'm a reader, but I read too much. I, I, I read without without making it my own. But when I read Merton, Merton says, you're going to make this your own. You're going to see how serious this is. You're not going to read this and toss it and put it on the shelf and never go back to it. Now, one way I've been thinking, and I thought about this last night, how do you make yourself permeable? I pray to be. In other words, if it's, if, it, if it's a spiritual exercise of permeability, I take time to, to say, uh, maybe before I do Lexio, Lexio Divina with scripture, make me uh, Holy Spirit, God, Creator, all you angels and saints, make me more permeable uh, to, 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 to thy wisdom, to the wisdom that, that you all know together about what is the ultimate meaning of all things. You pray for it. It is a grace. Uh, you know, permeability is, is a chemical reaction. And some things are not permeable. And I am not permeable to a lot of books. They're spiritual books I will not read. But I am very permeable to Thomas Merton. And I want to explore that. What does that mean to be permeable where, I mean, I've never, I've never <clears throat> wanted to be Thomas Merton. I never wanted to meet Thomas Merton. I have had friends who met him, shook his hand. I wasn't jealous of them. When I was at the Merton Center, I didn't want to put on his glasses or, you know, try on his cowl after I closed the center down. It didn't, this didn't matter to me. What mattered to me was Merton's books, the voice that I found in that text, the voice that I made partially my own. We were singing together. I was harmonizing with him. Sometimes I was in discant. You know, I, was, uh, I wasn't harmonizing with him at all, making my own music. And we weren't on the same pitch, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I mean by permeability. That's this cool. Is... Another one, this is, a, this is a really good question because not everybody's a Merton expert. Somebody wants to know if you begin a study of Merton, how would you recommend they proceed? Which books? You know, William Shannon, the late William Shannon, who was a Merton scholar par excellence, uh, as I think the, uh, the editor of this book, which has monastic observances, which, which has now... Uh, now is has published that conference that I told you about. And the editor of this book, Patrick F. O'Connell, uh, says in his introduction that you will not find uh, this Merton's thoughts about prayer expressed in any way uh, that he does in this book. And let me say, when I talk about great Merton scholars, this man, this is, this is one of 12 studies that he's done. He's presented Merton's conferences completely annotated. It's like, it's like, it's like go, taking a class at Harvard, each one of these. Not only that, he's the editor of the Merton Seasonal. He's edited selected letters. 
Uh, I, I know of no one whose mind, I can't speak for his heart, is more intellectually resonant with what Thomas Merton was about. I mean, there, there are no, there's no awards enough for Patrick O'Connell. But there are people like Patrick O'Connell and William Shannon and, 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 and uh, Patrick Hart and Robert Daggy who would tell you what you should read first. A lot of people say, uh, and Merton had this idea of book providence, that sometimes just when you needed it, a book fell off, literally fell off the shelf. So many people say that about Merton's Seven Story Mountain. It fell off the shelf. Uh, one of, one of uh, certainly if you can make yourself permeable to the, that, that the Seven Story Mountain has a historical context and that you were reading the words of a man who was in his, it was only 30 and was recording what he was as a callow young man if you can get past his criticisms uh, about Buddhism and Protestants, etc., it's a beautiful book. The Seven Story Mountain can change you. I remember giving it to a uh, an artist friend decades ago. The young man wasn't religious at all. I said, "I'll read this book," blah, blah, blah. and he read it. And he said, "This has changed my life." I have to, I, it's making me question everything. So the Seven Story Mountain is certainly, uh, uh, I would read Merton before I began reading people who comment, who, com, who comment on Merton. You've got to find Merton's voice for yourself and not get Merton filtered through anybody, uh, as good as they are, as good as William Shannon was, and, uh, you know, Christine Boshin, Bonnie Thurston, Edward Kaplan. Lights I could name, but why read? And I've got to tell you, because I used to do this a lot. I would read, instead of reading Dante, I'd read books on Dante. I'd start with The Seven Story Mountain, and I think that the most beautiful book that Merton has written is Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. If you don't like Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, then you know that you are impermeable to Thomas Merton's voice, <laughs> and you can just keep going. But that is a gorgeous book, and that book will be around for a long, long time, where some of other book, Merton's books won't because they'll be dated yep. and superseded by future experience. We have five more minutes. Yeah, so I'm gonna ask the last question. Okay. Uh, there are <clears throat> many more that could be asked. Got one who's really interested in this idea of Grace's crowbar, a term I must admit I had not heard. Well, I just made it up. Well, that's a good. So can you share a little more about how you came up with a wonderful pair of words, Grace's crowbar? I know. Well, it was just, it's, it's poetry, okay? But what I kind of mean is, is that by writing, by journaling, that Grace... secretly was exposing himself 
to his innermost apartments, which is a phrase that Merton uses in one of his poems, a beautiful one. So, so Grace secretly enters, breaks and enters uh, into his journals and into his consciousness and into his thought uh, so that he can view himself, his, 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 his most intimate fears and longings that, that, that he doesn't normally see, that he's too shy to see or that he can't see because uh, he's unconscious. But Grace gets in, uses a, uses a crowbar to break and enter. It's just an image that I'm dealing with. It means nothing perhaps in the real world and Merton might laugh, but it's, it's Montaldo. So you take it with a grain of salt. All right, well, listen, it's been wonderful. Uh, thank you for allowing me the, the powers that be that have allowed me to, to, to be here with you. It's, it's a great honor for me. And uh, I wish you all the happiest of holy days coming, that we should all uh, have courage through all things together. We will need one another uh, this coming winter uh, without any doubt. Sister Teresa, Dr. Teresa Sandak, I turn it back to you. So I was saying thank you, Jonathan, for that beautiful presentation. And as our listeners could um, could see, uh, you and I go way back to our Bellarmine days. And uh, it's just nice to connect, even if it's just through Zoom. I want to thank Peter Cunningham and his deputy, Dan Horan, who um, were in the background today. They were doing the technological stuff. Uh, Peter is from the Bernadine Center at Catholic Theological Union, and he does the technical support. And Dan was allowing you all to come into the, um, to the webinar this evening. I also want to thank um, Bob Grip, who posts uh, the webinars on YouTube. It will be available probably um, sometime tomorrow or the next day. And you can go to uh, merton.org slash ITMS to find the uh, the address for that webinar. Um, and also thanks to Mark Mead who posts these, uh, these presentations as podcasts. So I often get uh, a question uh, from people who want to attend and aren't available on the night of the, um, of the presentation. And uh, you can tell your friends that they can all go and find not only this presentation, but previous ones uh, on YouTube. Uh, reg registration will open tomorrow for the January 12th webinar, which will feature Jim Finley. He will speak on turning to Thomas Merton as a trustworthy guide in the gentle art of contemplative living. Jim was a novice with Merton at Gethsemane, so we are in for the rare treat of hearing from someone who experienced Merton firsthand. And to register, go to merton.org ITMS. Finally, if you are not already a member of the International Thomas Merton Society, I invite you to consider joining the organization. When Jonathan was talking this evening about the, the index and the people that would be in your index, I can think of no more wonderful group of people to share that index with uh, than the people who make up the Thomas Merton Society. People who are all interested in exploring Merton's life and thought fostering community and contemplative awareness and just living. So you can check us out again at that same website, 
merton.org slash ITMS. So for now, goodbye, stay safe, have a joyful holiday season, and we hope to see you in January. <music>